Listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 233 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we tried to get to this on 232 and we didn't. We're going to tell you about the best and the worst states for kids during uh, the pandemic. Ron and I have lived in both of them. In fact, we're living in one of those states right now. Also, Boy Scouts of America, they're about to write a check for $300 million when it comes to sex abuse. But it seems like they're writing these checks every couple of years. Is it enough? And is it time to shut it down when it comes to the Boy Scouts? Is all of us now are participating in cancel culture. Is it the right thing to do to cancel the Boy Scouts of America? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Just read an article on near-death experiences and how actually having a near-death experience can propel you to have a better life. I'm going to ask Ron in a moment if he's ever had a near-death experience. I have. I'm 16 years old. I am driving a vehicle that my sister and I shared to go to work. We worked in a lumberyard. In fact, she uh, would drive it. Sometimes my brother would, and I would drive it. And we all carpool uh, in this truck. I had to go to the dentist one day and then also to the eye doctor because my eyes have never been great. And when I was driving home, uh, this truck, it was an old Ford Ranger. I don't know if you remember a Ford Ranger. I was driving this thing, and I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I hit a washboard, and I end up losing control of the truck. And to be honest with you, I was driving pretty aggressive ac- across the washboard because when the truck would slide from side to side, I thought it was really fun. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's one of the w- ways that you learn to drive on dirt roads is to go hit a washboard. Uh, same thing in the snow. I remember going and taking my Jeep when I was younger and just spinning out in a parking lot somewhere, taking it from two wheel drive to four wheel drive and then back in. That's how you become a pretty good driver in snow and ice and sleet and all that stuff. My dad, who was a truck driver, actually taught me that early on. Anyway, I lose control of this truck. Lose control of it. I am listening to Jim Croce, operator at the time. Operator. Can you help me make this call? Yeah, I love Jim Croce. 16 years old. I go over this cliff in the truck. Now, how high is a cliff? Is it an embankment or a cliff? I would call it, I I would say where this is, is a cliff. The truck rolled, the police say, somewhere between seven to nine times. And so I rolled down into this ravine. I didn't have a seatbelt on. I remember grabbing the seat of the Ranger and just hanging on, and I could see the radio. It was a Delco radio. I could see the D on the radio. And I remember the radio spinning. I remember it getting very slow. I was spinning in slow motion. Jim Crow. I could not wait for the truck to stop. As it's doing this, there's a V now. There's a V in the top of the cab of the truck, and it's slicing my back slicing my back and i'm rolling through this uh uh wash bin of an arroyo if you don't know what arroyo is look it up online i don't really have time to explain arroyos right now it finally comes to a stop 
I'm upside down. Somehow I'm able to get out of this truck. I'm in shock, I know, because I, I see that there's blood all over me. But the first thing I'm doing is I'm checking my face because I have glass in my eyes and in my face. Uh, I'm crawling up this, this ravine. Somehow the, the Albuquerque police get there. And then just by happenstance, guess who's driving home from work at the time that they are pulling the truck up the embankment with kind of a tow truck crane. Guess who's coming home? Your dad? My mother. Your mother. My dad was long gone at this point. My mom. She didn't see me, but she saw the truck. Without getting too emotional about it. Um... I'm sitting in the back of the police car. My mom is in tears. Her makeup is all day. And and she's already gone through. She's raising four kids. She's working her her off at her job at the University of New Mexico, making 11 grand a year and and trying to provide for all of us, which she did. I can't imagine what it was like for her to roll up on that. And then I'm in the back of the patrol car telling the officer exactly what happened. And when I told him what happened, because you always like to make yourself the hero of a story, at least I do, I told him I, w- I, w- I was driving and this sheep came from out of nowhere. A sheep? A sheep. In New Mexico? Yes. All right. Go on. I think it's a I'm rogue a- sheep. I think I meant to say goat because there were some goats in the area, but for whatever reason, I said a sheep. And it was either me or the sheep. And I decided that the sheep would live and that maybe that I would die. So I, I grabbed control of the truck. I swerved to not hit the sheep. And I went careening off the cliff. Is he buying this story? He's sitting there and he has his clipboard out and he's listening to me. And he's, he's like, and then he explains to me about that my mother is there and that she would like to speak with me. Like, oh. What the sheep is going on around here? <laughs> So, 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 so anyway, uh, so let me ask you, hang on, hang on. I'm not done. I end up going and talking to my mother who's just in tears and all that. I tell my mom the same story. So then the patrol officer asked me to come back because now they've been out measuring things and they see that there's no, there's no skid marks. You could see where I was fishtailing in the truck. And then, and then he sits down with my mom and he was very kind to me. And, and he said, Don, you know, there's not a lot of sheep in this area. He goes, I haven't written the report yet. He goes, would you, would you, would you like to tell me what really happened? And do you want to take another run at this? And that's when my mom encouraged me just to tell him the truth. So I told him the truth. I was rocking out the operator. Yeah. Going a little fast. Anyway, I do think about that day. Not every day, but every week. I think about that. I I should I, I'm pretty amazed when you look at the truck because it was completely totaled. When you look at the pictures, the fact I didn't have a seatbelt on, 
I think I felt hands and arms going out the windows, but I don't know if that's true or not. That's just my recollection of pulling those things in. But how could you do that? So and this, hang on this article said time? that you said, even if that happens young in life, it stays with people their whole life. Stays, it stayed with me my whole life. And in, and in fact, when my little sister died, I would, I would sit there without going into all the emotion of that. When I was processing that, I was like, dear God, why didn't you take my life then and spare her life now? She's 43. She has three very young kids. Why her and not me? Because compared to my other siblings, and they would all agree, she lived an angelic life compared to my mom's other kids. So that near-death experience at 16 is something that I always think about. I have great gratitude for being alive. And in some ways, I always feel like I'm on borrowed time. So how about yeah, you? This article was interesting because they talk about a couple things. They talk about that phenomenon that you just described beautifully, where someone has an experience, it changes the trajectory of their life, and they, they never get over it. They make a huge change, and maybe they have a zest for living that they never had before, and that stays with them. And the other thread it talked about is sort of this spiritual thing, and the example they bring up is a guy that was in surgery, and his heart stopped, and he said that he was able to see himself uh, from above the operating table. And we've heard that story before, but they said the interesting thing that this guy was able to do is he said he saw the surgeon waving his arms like a chicken. And then he went back and found the surgeon after he was revived and said, this is a weird question, but we're, do you wave your arms like a chicken in the, in the theater? And the guy, the surgeon's face went like completely drained the color and was like, how did you know that? And he said, well, I saw it from above the operating table. And he's like, well, yeah, after I, when I wash up for surgical scrubs, he goes, I tuck my hands in towards my torso and I'm pointing with my elbows for sterilization reasons. And he goes, it's just a habit I got into in medical school and not everybody does it, but that's what I do to make sure that I don't touch anything before I'm going to, you know, perform surgery. And so the, the author of this study was trying to figure out, like, how would he have known that? What mechanism was happening uh, at this near-death experience where he could have seen that outside of his own body? And so they didn't really answer that question. So both of these threads are going on. So I guess I will ask you, um, did you feel like your soul or what your spirit or whatever the word is for that was separating from your body in any way? Was there a spiritual component to this slowing down effect. No, and, I, and, and and you hear that, people that that where their heart is stopped and they've come back and they talk about it. I didn't have that at all. Like, I, I was always present. I don't feel like I was ever unconscious. I, I, I felt the slashing. I saw the blood. I saw the glass break. Everything was in slow motion. And like, because what happens when your brain is under that kind of stress, your brain's always taking pictures and what happens is in you in the remembrance and in the 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 subconscious and the neuroplasticity of your brain it 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 when the, when an event like that happens your your There's brain There's so much it, adrenaline in your brain imprints yeah, stronger. Yeah. So you, so you, so your brain is branded and then when I go back I can vividly see these pictures. Now over time when you look at neuroscience sometimes those pictures aren't completely accurate but it's what the truth is to you now is your brain and as your soul and your heart and your physical being as, as you've had to process that trauma 
and come up with a reason of why that happened. And the guilt of living is a real thing, especially when when somebody else you love and care care about when they die. Uh, so that was the thing that I really had to process. And I had to fully process that when, when Colleen passed. And I think I finally have. I've come to a place of peace with that. And as we talked about before, when some Facebook memory comes up or I'm in, tro- in control of her mem- memorandum page, it's, it's now very peaceful to go see that. If, I, if I'm listening to iTunes and I have a playlist and all of a sudden one of her songs comes on, comes on she was a gospel singer, it used to just freak me out and shut me down and so many emotions. I process that now. I process that. So if nothing else, when you, if you've had one of these experiences, it's important to process it and see if you can process all of it. Was, was it the, the yellow truck? Huh? The yellow truck? The Bondo truck? No. The Bondo truck was after. Oh, what a piece of junk that truck was. <laughs> oh, my God. See you on the other side of this. I don't think we'd have this house if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. This house popped up. As soon as we saw it, Ron and Don were here. <laughs> Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well prepared. There were houses we were interested in. They would go and preview them if we wanted. One time Ron went and then FaceTimed us as he walked through several houses for us so that we wouldn't have to come over and waste the trip. I was surprised how quickly, especially after meeting with Don, how quickly they kind of zeroed into what I was looking for, and I don't think we would have like found this house or been as successful with another realtor or doing it without. A, I can't imagine doing it without a realtor. I was just um, so impressed with their professionalism, their competence, their responsiveness, their respectfulness of our process. Run uh, basically did a check for the areas that I said I was interested in buying. He gave us a whole list of uh, properties that were available. He came with us Sunday morning, and we looked at probably five different places. It was a very smooth process. I think that they definitely brought their heart and soul. They did a great job. The market was super hot. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 232. And don't forget, if you want to sit whoa, down. Whoa, 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 233, pal. Sorry, 233. If you want to sit down with us, uh, just write Ron, Ron at windermere.com, and we'll come up with the time to sit down today. We start our sit downs uh, every morning at 730. And virtually. we had a sit down that said they have listened to every single episode of the run, I was like, "You've listened to two hundred and thirty-three episodes." Said, yep, that's more. <laughs> that's I haven't listened to all two hundred episodes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Boy Scouts of America. I know so many people who've had their lives transformed, especially kids that maybe don't excel in sports. And I've even thinking about my own child, uh, maybe getting involved in the Scouts program. Uh, my good buddy Joe, his son was an Eagle Scout, and what's amazing when you sit down with his son. Uh, he knows so much that he learned in scouting from finances, 
to survival. Uh, he can you go see that kid tie some knots. I'm being serious. I know you can, you That's can a skill, uh, to be an Eagle scout, you have to do something kind of, kind of big time in the community as far as a kind of a, a service project. Yeah. And, and he did something, he restored, uh, a building down on South Lake union where now you see a lot of native American boats that were carved out where they are presented and shared in a museum type fashion. They're really cool. He did that when he was 17 years old. So I want to be very careful here about picking on the scouts in the scouts program. Anytime you have a big program, anytime you have a big church, just ask the, ask the Catholic church. There's so many wonderful things that the Catholic church has done in the world over the years, but there's also so many people that have been a part of that church that have done so much damage and especially to children. I'm a little sensitive to that because I have friends and I grew up as an altar boy and things happened to them as a result of nothing ever happened to me, but happened to them as a result of being in the Catholic church. So, so here's the thing about this Boy Scout story that is interesting is you have 85,000 people have come forward to say I was abused by the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts is saying we can only verify 17 to 18,000 of these. It's kind of a hard position to defend. Of saying, yeah, I mean, we did it, but we didn't have 85,000. Come on. So it's somewhere between 18,000 and 85,000. And then, no, and, and there's more because think about there, there may be some people in there that are looking for a ca- cash grab. There always is. But when it comes to this kind of abuse, because there's so much shame in that, believe me, a, like, like my friend who's abused, he's never told his parents uh, in the Catholic Church. He has never come forward officially. Um, but think about that for a minute. 85. So so there's more, I'm just saying there's more than 85,000. That's going to a Seahawk game and more than everybody in that stadium being a victim of abuse. That's a lot of human beings. By 20,000. Yeah. So what the, the boy scouts has done and said, here's what we're going to do. We have this trove of paintings that were done by who's the, the famous painter did the, all the, um, Norman Rockwell. We have these, a bunch of original Norman Rockwell paintings because he, we had hired him to paint a bunch of our magazine covers for Boys Life and all that stuff back in the day. We're going to auction all those off. That's going to be tens of millions of dollars uh, because the, these are original paintings. Uh, we also have a bunch of assets that we're going to liquidate. And so we're going to do, we want to do a class action settlement so that everybody that we've verified gets around $6,000. And then even Steven, we keep going. With that's that's their presentation. The critics on the other side are saying, not so fast. What about all your campgrounds that you guys own? What about the campground, the water camps? What about the real estate that's been given to you over the years in people's uh, wills and trusts uh, before this scandal broke? How's about you liquidate all your holdings and actually pay people what the sort of market value, if there is such a thing, commensurate to what other uh, sexual abuse cases has have gotten awarded. Uh, so that's the rub. So but Boy Scouts is saying, well, if we liquidate everything, then there is no more Boy Scouts. 
Basically, what you're saying then is that we're shutting the Boy Scouts down. Uh, we need to keep our campgrounds. We need to keep uh, our infrastructure. We need to keep a lot of these buildings so that we have a Boy Scouts. We need to keep this real estate because we can peel off one property at a time uh, when we need to raise funds. So no, we're not going to liquidate everything. We're just going to do the normal Rockwell stuff. We're going to do the things that we uh, already said. And then voluntarily, troops from around America can contribute if they want to. So the individual troops can say, we would like to contribute towards this payout if they choose to do so. Where where do you land on this? Well, if you do the math, they say, we want to settle for $300 million. If there's 85,000 cases, that comes to $3,529 per rape. Ron and Don from Radio to Real Estate. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, before we get out of here, let's hit some uh, headlines on episode 233 of the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don uh, Radio Network. Some new stats just out saying when it comes to kids, when it comes to students, if you live in Louisiana, when it comes to COVID-19 and the impact it is probably the worst state in the country to live in if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a child. On the other hand, one of the best states to live in, how about this? It's been named in the top four, is Washington State. You lived in both of them. What's your take on Washington, Louisiana? And do you think there really is this great divide when it comes to our kids uh, COVID-19 and as we kind of move into the future. I mean, this divide was there before COVID-19. If you just ranked uh, school uh, performance or child performance on virtually any metric. So the fact that it was exaggerated after COVID is not a surprise to me at all. L- living in the South really changed, I think, both of us. Uh, where, you know, we were Southwest kids, then we moved to the West Coast uh, and lived in cities like Seattle and San Francisco and Phoenix. And then when we moved to uh, Dallas and then to New Orleans and just saw things and saw the divide and saw it with our own two eyes, I think that really opened us up to go, wow. Like we, we really did that. That for me, it was a touchstone to go, maybe there is such a thing as white privilege. Maybe I, I was given some advantages that I didn't really realize because there was some schools. I lived by a, pretty close to a school in New Orleans and you had the private school, beautiful building, all the kids in uniforms, air conditioning, library, beautiful football field, public school, no AC, no books, broken windows, broken windows, a dirt field shared book. Sh- the, the book books were kept in class and the kids would take them, take them out and they'd have to share the books. So they didn't have to worry about taking books home. They didn't have them. So it'd be uh, 99 degrees with 99% humidity. And these kids are trying to go to school. And then when I saw that, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that wasn't my experience. So um, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I, I feel for the kids of Louisiana because it is a, it is a really special place. Um, that makes me sad to hear that stat, though. Yeah. Uh, Stanford professors come out and said something that I think we all realize, that the future of Zoom has a big problem. 
even though that we've seen a big corporation come in, take it over. Now they're going to start pumping a lot of money into it. Uh, they said for a lot of us, we just have Zoom fatigue and they don't see us operating on Zoom uh, in the future. What's your take on that? Uh, it's the latency issue and the fact that you're not looking. I, I saw um, there's two things. The one that there's a couple hundred milliseconds uh, difference of why it's transmitted that just make it awkward and weird. Uh, the second thing is you're not really looking at their eyes. The camera is at the top of your screen and you're looking in the middle of the screen. I, I saw a video online of this uh, YouTube creator guy that's really smart. He made a, a system where like a teleprompter where he put a camera at his eye level and using a series of one-way mirrors was able to still see his screen, changed the entire experience because you're actually looking where you would be looking. Like when you and I are in the same room, we're looking at each other's eyes. Uh, it, it was able to do that. If, if that technology took off, I think it, that would be a, go a long way towards being able to, to make it more real. Yeah. Uh, another headline here. Some people are saying that the pandemic has actually made their life better. It's made their business better. Uh, what say you? Uh, I believe that it depends. Like I, I know there are people that you and I both know, and I won't say their names. Like this has been heaven to not have to go to the office and to not. Like, you can say that's our friend Gary. Well, Gary is the biggest introvert in the world, and yet he has to do extrovert work because he's the band leader. Uh, he was the band leader. We can say this for Paul Allen's band. He's the band leader for uh, uh, Billy Graham and his son that travels now because Billy's no longer around. He's the band leader for. So he, ha he has to do. He travels all over the world. He has to has to do very extroverted stuff because he's this band leader and playing the piano and the organ and all that. And he's like, man, he goes not having to hug people is like one of the greatest things in the world. Right. So. <laughs> For people that that's your uh, personality type, it, it has been great. Uh, I think the, the, the one thing, and I've been evolving on this for a long time, when you see the amount of wealth like that uh, uh, Bezos has accumulated in the pandemic, and it doesn't get distributed among the workforce of Amazon, that, that gets alarming at a sense where I saw some stat, it was something like the amount of money that Jeff Bezos has made, and this is going to be off by a little bit, but not by much. The amount of money he's made just since the pandemic started, so not not counting his previous fortune, just the money during the pandemic, he could pay every Amazon employee, giving them a bonus of, of a six-figure bonus, over 100000 each to every employee, and he would still have the same amount of money he had before the pandemic started. So when you think about wow, that- Wow, that's crazy. You go, huh, maybe that's a little out of balance. No. Maybe that's a little out of balance, especially when when single handedly they they'll be responsible moving forward for some of the brick and mortar stores uh, to close. And we all know that sometimes you drive up and down your street, and there might be four Amazon vans on on your street. And you're can, like, "Can I say something that's real quick?" As I no, you cannot. All right. I was thinking about this the other day, <laughs> I guess and I just want everyone to pay attention to this because Don and I know have been on this rant for a while uh, about race and just paying attention to America. Just from now on, for the next month, just do me a favor. Every time you see a delivery driver uh, or a person that is out delivering Postmates or Uber Eats or showing up to your building with, with someone's groceries, just pay attention to their race. That's, that's 
I'm not going to make any commentary on it. That's it. Just pay attention. When you see someone come up to your building or your neighborhood and get out of a van and they're carrying a bunch of bags to a house, just pay attention to their race. That's all I would ask you to do. No. All right. Another headline, New Yorker, uh, the wasting of the evangelical mind. And without reading this, I bet you'll still have a reaction to it. It says the particularities of how American Christianity took shape help explain believers' vulnerability to conspiratorial... Conspiratorial? Conspiratorial, thank you, thinking, and the embrace of misinformation. This is by Michael Lowe uh, in the Daily Comments section of The New Yorker. You and I spent some time growing up in the evangelical movement. It it was kind of shocking to me, and it's still shocking to me, the way, because I know a lot of people in that movement. Uh. And they have embraced a lot of the conspiracies. Why do you think that's happened? I don't know if I will have a good take on this without reading what the guy's thesis is. I, I think the, this on its face, the first thing that pops into my head, because we are doing a talk show here, is that you, there is a sort of indoctrination and training into believing people of authority. Uh, if you are in uh, a church like that, there it's it's taught very strongly that there is a hierarchy and that you should know your place in that hierarchy. So uh, for instance, you probably heard people where it's like the man's the head of the household. And if you hear that a thousand times, uh, you know, guys, men are exhorted to like lead your household. And so they interpret that in different ways. You can have the, the same thing where it's like, Hey, you're, if you're the pastor, you do what I say. Like I'm, I'm closer to God than you are. And so therefore, when I preach something and I've studied it, you just need to believe me. And so they can come out and make a statement on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night that says, you should do X. And here's the Bible verse that supports this belief. And so many people of you, when you do that multiple times a week, week in and week out, year in and year out, you begin to have a paradigm where it's like, I choose my trusted leader and then I believe what they say. Yeah. And there's winners or losers. There's heaven and hell. There are protagonists and antagonists. There's a battle, secret battle going on. Yeah. So with all those things that are happening, uh, and you are taught to question authority and, and to push back, to push back against the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Herodians, uh, the teachers of the law at the time, because Jesus was kind of an outlaw, right? So you push back against that. And at least that's the way it's been framed. And so much so that I would just encourage people sometimes just do a Google search on what Jesus really looked like. He's going to look a lot like that delivery driver stops by your house. See how we did that? Hey, before we get out of here, thanks for giving us great lives. I have to say this. I was talking to my eye doctor the other day, Dr. Lowe. I have Dr. Rodkiss and Dr. Lowe, uh, and they've helped me. Dr. Rob Lowe? There you go. And they've, <laughs> they've helped me on this, this, this journey because I had a, a cornea replaced that, I, that I've shared with you. And some issues of rejection and all that, but it's doing great right now. So I, I went to see him, and uh, we were sitting there, and I, and, I, and I was asking him what it's been like for him and his two kids uh, during the pandemic. And he said, "You know what, Don? It's just made me a better parent." He goes, "It's also made me a snowboarder." He goes, "I never thought I'd snowboard." He said, "But just to get out of the house and go do something with my kids," and he goes, "It's kind of their bliss." And they're skiers and snowboarders, and they're 10 and 13. So it's like, you know, at the age of 50, I, th- I think he's around the same age as I. 
he decided to take up snowboarding lessons. And he's like, now every weekend I'm up on the hill with my kids. And he said, I would have never done that before uh, if it wasn't for this pandemic. And he said the same thing with his business. And I bet his- he had some sore weekends. Learning that in your 50s. <laughs> there were probably some days he couldn't get out of the, out of the chair. Yeah, I told him, I said, wait until you break your leg. And then we'll uh, we'll revisit this discussion. So anyway, no, I think there's a lot of good things to pull out of this. And I think we'll look back uh, and we'll see that we stepped into it, that we got more present. And it gave us a chance to know better, know things better, and to do things better. So, hey, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 233. Don't forget, you can always get in touch with us. Our website is ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. And if you need us, write Ron directly, ron at windermere.com. And Ron and I will get back in touch with you. All right, head up, shoulders back. Thanks for giving us great lives. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next time for episode 234. Only! On the Ron and Don, oh, that will get Charlie. Oh, on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ha! I'm not kidding. <laughs>